Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for the speedy and of Rachel Bat Carmela, sponsored by Ruti and Rafa Fuzailov, as, all, as well as uh, dedicating loving memory of Morris Sa'in Alava Shalom, Li'ilui Nishmat Moshe Ben Adel Alava Shalom, by the Edmund J. Safra Synagogue. Uh, dedicating loving memory of Adele Towel, Alea Shalom, Li'ilui Nishmat Adina Adel Ya'el Bat Le'ah, by Lillian and Jack's Roran family, and finally sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good, to do good today and every day. <clears throat> okay. Our parasha begins with a concept. Vayishma Yitro. And Yitro hears. And everyone is very busy with this idea of Yitro's hearing. What hearing, what thing did he hear that made him come, that made him join the Jewish people? And the, uh, the Midrashim, the Gemarot, they seem, to mir- they seem to be a mirror image of each other. One opinion says <clears throat> it was uh, the, the war against Amalek. One opinion says it was the splitting of the sea. One opinion says, as uh, Rashi seems to bring, that he heard both of them, right? And each way, each of these opinions illustrates that there was a piece of news that Yitro heard that actually changed him. Um, and the only question is, which piece of news? Or which pieces of news? My friends, I want to talk a little bit today about the idea of allowing something to change you. At this stage in the game, if they told you something about, uh, about the vaccines, the vaccines are this, the vaccines are that. If they told you something about COVID, the COVID is this, the COVID is that. They tell you something about the masks, masks are this, masks are that. How much does that affect you and your decisions? Because you heard a piece of news about any of these things. Today, almost zero. People just stopped caring. They stopped trusting the news. So if they tell you it's this percent effective, that percent, you're going to get it, you're not going to get it. Because every five minutes they change their minds. So no one actually believes anything anymore. Right? Today, the news agencies struggle with relevance because everybody understands that they are a biased uh, source of information. Each one according to their bias, but that they are biased information. So as an example, if uh, Fox News tells you that Ron DeSantis is Mashiach, Right? What do you say? Azaku Baruch. If CNN tells you that Eshet uh, Chai was written about Nancy Pelosi, what do you say? Azaku Baruch. Of course you're going to say that. Right? But the day Fox News tells you that Pelosi is Eshet Chai, and the day CNN tells you that the best person to run for president is DeSantis or Trump, then you sit up and take notice. What's going on here? It takes a person who seems or who wants to tell you, whose agenda is the opposite of the piece of news that they're giving you, for news to change us. I want to ask you, who do you think is telling Yitro the news about the Jewish people having the sea split and vanquishing Amalek? You think it's Jews? You think he went onto the Times of Israel website and he saw a positive you know, news article about how the Jewish people were miraculously saved by the grace of Hashem, right? He heard it. He was Yitro Kohen Midian. 
He was a, an, a, an idol-worshipping priest in a city of idol-worshippers. Who gave him the news? It was only the people that wanted only, that only had the worst things to say about the Jewish people. Yesterday, how many of us were clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking? I must have got carpal tunnel syndrome last night. All I'm doing is refreshing, refreshing, refreshing news pages to see what's going to happen or what happened in Texas in the synagogue. And I must say, Baruch Hashem, this time around, we did not hear the terrible news from the Beta Knesset that we heard last time in Pittsburgh. But there's a separate Baruch Hashem. A Baruch Hashem that not only did we hear, did we not hear the news from the inside of the synagogue, Baruch Hashem this time also, I did not hear the drivel, the nonsense from outside the synagogue. I didn't hear anyone say, eh, they were reform. Last time, unfortunately, we did hear that. Eh, conservative. Eh, not Shomer Torah Mitzvot. They're not even Jews. These crazy voices that were resonating, bouncing around after the last tragedy. Baruch Hashem was silent after this one. And I must say, I must say, in the clicking and the refreshing and the halal that we were all feeling in our hearts that these Jews were saved, Baruch Hashem. Because last time it's them and next time, Bar Minan, you don't know where it's going to be. These guys, Yemachshimam with their guns, they're not experts on branches of Judaism. Right? The guy didn't sit there and think, you know what? Where do they think the Luchot came from? You know? Is it divinely inspired or divinely, you know? <laughs> he, he doesn't have a philosophical discussion with himself. He doesn't go onto Wikipedia and say, which branch of Judaism, right? Jewish is Jewish is Jewish. That's what he attacked. That's what he got in. That's what he got in on. So while I'm clicking, what do I see? I see an article from Al Jazeera. Masquerading as a reputable news source. They kept talking about how the situation was over with the hostage taker. <laughs> like this is a new brand of person. You have criminals, you have murderers, you have rapists. And you have people. What do you do for a living? I'm a lawyer. What are you? I'm a hostage taker. Is that what you do? Yeah, it's, uh, I went to college for that. They teach you first to identify hostages and take them. It's uh, complicated. Because how could Al Jazeera call him a terrorist? They can't. It's not their agenda. So... I want to put across this point. The Gemara and the Midrash are busy with which piece of news did you throw here? But my friends, it would not have mattered which bit of you throw, news you throw heard if it did not come from a source where you throw, stood up and took notice that the person who's telling me this really does not want this to be true. 
It must be emet. Sometimes a person could change their whole life from the tiniest bit of emet. And I want to share this with you because I think that this is very powerful. And I, I've shared one element of this with you in years gone by. Look closely at Rashi. We think that Yitro changed his life, left everything behind, became Jewish, moved with his family to join the Jewish people in the desert, by the way. Why? Because he heard about, what a miracle, the splitting of the sea. That's pretty amazing, the splitting of the sea. Open, miracle. It was a miracle, by the way, that happened everywhere in the world. They were able to see it in their cups. The guy's drinking a cup of water in Timbuktu, all of a sudden, stands up straight. He calls his waiter over. He goes, this one's broken. Can I have another one? Right? Do you understand? This is what's going on in the whole world. But then the Gemara, then the, Gemara the Midrash says, the other opinion. And Rashi puts them together. You know what he heard? He heard about the miracles. And also, that there was a war with Amalek. Now pay close attention. Because I don't know, that, that, that to me doesn't sound so impressive. People are going to war all the time. People are fighting all the time. Wars are won all the time. Now there was a lot of Jews, remember? Remember how many Jews there were that left Egypt? Is it so unlikely that the Jews won this war against Amalek? Is it so unlikely that that should be part of the conversation that gets Yitro to change his life? And I want you to pay close attention one more time to the words that Rashi says. It was not that they won the war. When the, when the Jews won the war against the Greeks, that's a miracle. When the Jews won the war against Amalek, is that a miracle? So some people want to say, oh yeah, you know what? It's not that he heard that they won the war against Amalek. It's they heard how they won the war. Every time it goes like this, they win the war. Every time it goes like this, they lose the war. Up, win the war. Down, lose the war. Up, win the war. You know what I always do? I used to take it to Shabbat table, you know, the corkscrew for the wine, and I would go up, down. I'm like, who's this? They're like, it's Moshe. Right? Okay. <laughs> that's what he heard. He heard about how they're winning the war. But if you pay attention, that's not what Rashi says. Rashi says, he doesn't say Nitzachon Amalek. He says Milchemet Amalek. The fact that they could go to war in the first place. How could Amalek, after seeing what everybody saw in Egypt, after hearing about the miracles, after seeing and hearing about the sea split, how could Amalek go to war with them? Yitro understood it must be that the power of agenda, the power of bias, the power of what we want to be true can be so strong that it can cause us to overlook even the most obvious of truths. My friends, some of you may be familiar with a very tragic phenomenon. It's called battered wife syndrome. I don't mean that you're familiar with it on a first-hand basis, but Manan. You have that, Shema Israel. <laughs> One should never say it or joke about it. Bad hundred. Oh, it means bad husband. What's bad wife syndrome? Bad wife syndrome is when 
this, the woman is being abused emotionally, physically, and she keeps coming back for more. Everyone tells her, leave him. Leave her. Because abuse can go both ways. Leave the partner that's giving you abuse. Why are you coming back to them? And actually, psychologically, go look it up. Not an Al Jazeera there, it's probably a positive thing. <laughs> go look it up, you'll go see that the reason is, at a certain stage, the person becomes so beholden that they start saying, but he can't be such a bad guy. After all, he, he puts me in this house. After all, he gives me food. He gives me money for clothes. He cares about me. So they're left with a question. What's the question? Then how is he hitting me? So the only answer in a battered wife's mind or a battered husband's wife is, it must be, I deserved it. Because the dinner wasn't ready. Or because I wasn't dressed nicely when he came home. Or because I didn't take care of the kids the way she said to. And I stopped believing that it's my fault that I'm getting hit. Do you understand that? But what, what prompts this? A person can be so broken down and so afraid and so in need of the home, of the food, of the clothing, that the fear, it won't allow them to see something which is staring them in the face, in the black and blue face. They can overlook something that's right in front of their eyes. So it always bothered me. One opinion in the Midrash says, uh, the other opinion in the, in the Midrash says, um, uh, comes Rashi, puts them together. Who's that? That's neither opinion. Let me tell you how I understand Rashi. Rashi is not saying both. He's saying one. He's saying, you know what turned you through? The Milchemet Amalek. But you know what did it? That Milchemet Amalek was right after Kriyat Yamsuf. That's what he means. He means Milchemet Amalek and Kriyat Yamsuf, excuse me, Kriyat Yamsuf and Milchemet Amalek right after it. He's following the second opinion. But he's holding up the juxtaposition of these two stories, one to the other. It was not miracles that turned Yitro. If it was miracles, I feel he'd have been turned earlier. There was a whole bunch in Egypt. It was witnessing the human condition, the power of bias, the power of believing what you want to believe can be so strong that you could ignore something, even if it's right in front of your face. And Yitro took that to heart. And he asked himself, maybe I'm ignoring something that's right in front of my face. The emet of Judaism. Vayishma Yitro Choten Moshe. I'm not going to follow. I'm the expert in religion. 
I'm going to go and join my son-in-law's religion. How embarrassing is that? There was a bias. He didn't want something to be true. Rabbi Uttai, there's a lot of truths that we would much rather were not true. But like Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. I think we would like it to be true that God does not decide how much Parnassah we're going to make. I think we would like it to be true that our Parnassah is going to be directly decided by how hard I work, how smart I am, you know, how much effort I put in at the office, how much, how much networking I do at that uh, conference, wherever it is. We would, like, we would like to believe that we're in control. Because as human beings, it's very hard to have something that is out, completely out of our control. To know that only God gets to decide that and there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I could put in my hishtadlut, I could pray, but ultimately, He decides. It makes you feel powerless and we don't like to feel powerless. But my friends, are there not people that are busting their backs, trying to work as hard as they can and their parnasa didn't come? Have there not been times in your life when you've worked as hard as you're working when you're successful, only to have nothing come of it? Has that not happened? Have you not witnessed Emmet? Have you not seen the truth? You have. But sometimes, you can't handle the truth. Can't handle it. And because we can't handle the truth, we push it away. My question to you is the same question that they asked in the Midrash and in the Gemara. What did he hear that made him come back? My friends, what aren't we hearing? What things didn't we hear in our lives? What messages? And And which things have we seen in our life that plant emunah in our psyche? Clarity on these things, my friends, is everything. And a lot of times, I'm given tremendous chizuk by a regular, like they would say in the Syrian community, regular Aigay. Like we're the only people who still speak Pig Latin in the world. The pigs gave it up, the Latins gave it up. Only us, only us. And usually at the end of a sentence, and usually said like that, the guy, the guy, like that. Funny, we're funny, we're, Syrians, we're a funny creation, we are. Right? What I love is hearing a story of complete and utter emunah from a guy who doesn't look like a yeshiva guy. Because that's not the guy who wants to give up control. That's not the guy who's spending every minute in the Beit Midrash or in the Kolel. That's a guy that his religion in many ways, it impinges on his regular lifestyle. He wants to go here, he wants to go to the nicest restaurant, 
He wants to go on vacation and I have to worry about bringing a suitcase of meat. Who wants to do that? So the more he believes, in many ways, the more it impeaches. A Kulel guy, it's not that much of a big difference, you know. That's his lifestyle anyway. It's easy for him to believe. But a sharp guy, sharp eye gay, opshe eye gay, <laughs> right? A wealthy guy, a guy who's going to wherever, on whatever yacht or whatever. It's not as easy. But there was a shmuah. And I always love asking people, tell me, where did it come from? What did you see? What did you notice? My friends, if we open our eyes, we can see things, we can see truths, even that we don't want to see. And the faster we do that, the faster we rectify and fix and better and improve our lives. If we saw relationships in the way that they truly are. How many times has someone not given someone in their relationship the, the love, the affection, the forgiveness that they need because they just can't see how much they need it. How many times I had to say to someone, I know you're right. You're right. You're right, but she's dying. She's dying here. Because you haven't spoken to her for a week. You're right, but she's dying. What wins? When a person allows themselves to see that emit, they melt, they thaw. Do you see? Ezeshmu'ah shama'ubah. Sometimes when you witness how much a person could ignore, you start to realize where you are ignoring. And I'm going to say this, but please don't be upset with me. That's usually what you say before you make people upset, by the way. It's like, can I be honest? You know those, you know? Okay. Everybody in the world, I would like to believe, is on a growth trajectory. At least we're supposed to be. At what stage, at what stage do we check out? Like I grow, okay, first I wasn't keeping kosher, now I'm keeping kosher. I wasn't keeping Shabbat, now I'm keeping Shabbat. You know, I wasn't studying, now I stay for the rabbi's class or I tune into breakfast at the class online. Right? At what stage do we decide, okay, here, where I am, this is good. Check out for the day. Think about the space that you've moved from your zero point to the point that you're at. At what stage? I notice that sometimes people, there's nothing keeping them down. They're not upset. They're connected. They're coming. They're this. They're learning. But they went like this, and then they hit some sort of plateau, and then for 10 years... You see the guy 20 years later, 30 years, same eye gay. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. If there's a problem, let's address it. But the natural order of things is as you pray, pray more. As you learn, you learn more. The person develops in a myriad of ways. It should be the case that if you don't see someone for 10 years, they have changed almost unrecognizably. 
And I'm not saying that the guy went to wear a hat and he wear a thing, but in his midot, in the way he talks, in the way he treats people. If he's the same guy making fun of the guy in the back seat, you know, and he's, you're 50 years old. You're still playing the game, making fun of the guy walking into shul, like when you were in middle school. Do you hear me? So there's this point as well in people's lives where they decide, I'm comfortable here. I don't want to hear no more. So it used to be that the story, that the thing, that the class, that the Torah made an impact, and you shifted, even imperceptibly. Even the tiniest amount, but you moved. It moved you. You let it move you. And then there comes a time sometimes where a person just checks out. And by the way, sometimes we only check out in one area of our lives. So everything else is growing, but the learning, I'm still listening to the same classes. I haven't taken on learning something from a book. I can't tell you, one of the proudest things for me in the Beit Knesset is that Rabbi Ariel and myself and Rabbi Friedman are now learning with people who maybe for a long time in their life only listened to a class, never opened the book and sat and read it out of the book. And there's less stories and less jokes in the Gemara. They're learning something of a higher level. And you know what? I, I appreciate that it's less people. I understand that. That's good. That's how it starts. But check in. Be checked in. In every area. Your marriage should not be the same now as it was 10 years ago. Some people are thinking it's worse. Your relationship with your children, it should not be the same as it was 10 years ago. Again, some people feel it's worse. But even the status quo, that should not be what we're striving for. This forward progress, kadima, in everything that we do, in every area. And sometimes all it takes is the recognition and awareness to check back in and to listen. And to say, if I want to develop my relationship with my child or my wife, I need to start noticing something about them that makes them dear to me, more dear than they currently are. I need to develop a love in me uh, for them. I need to develop a love for Torah, for mitzvot, that pushes me forward. So if you look back and you see this is where I've come, take a minute, like they say, enjoy the view. Look down, be like, wow, look how high, fantastic, enjoy it. But then, set your sights up the mountain. What's next? What do I want to do this year? Or this decade? What would I like to know in 10 years from now? Would I be satisfied being the same gay 10 years from now? I hope not. May Hashem bless us to be open to the best versions of ourselves that are yet to come. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.